Hi, I'm Sarah, and this is my story, the one that you are here for, and the one that I haven't touched on this podcast in almost a year. But we're here now, and we're going to get back into it um, and just pick up where I left off um, going into what those first few weeks of us being together was like. Um really the rest of April. And I want to share before I really do get into it that it's been a year since I've talked about it on my podcast because my goal in having this podcast and sharing my experience is to do it justice and to do it like thoroughly with as much detail as I can. And doing that for me is a lot. It takes a lot out of me and it takes a lot for me to be prepared and to go through remembering and reliving all of these experiences but I want to do it um, and I want to share my story um, and so I am but that's why it's taken me so long to get back here and to con- continue on you know with my story of what happened but we're gonna go ahead um, and and go into the the last few weeks of April 2020. So to pick up where I left off, I had met Matthew Berry in person once on that Friday, April 10th of 2020 during the COVID pandemic. Two days later, he said, I love you while we were on FaceTime um, or actually Snapchat video because he made me stay on the phone with him almost 24-7, literally from about 6 a.m. until around 5 or 6 p.m. Every single day he made me be on the phone with him like that. And it was usually face like video chatting. And if it wasn't video chatting, it was on the phone. And he would do that and stay on the phone while he was transporting patients in his ambulance or whatever um, and maintain conversation with them and like have me listening to his conversations with patients. When I was teaching classes to my students on Zoom, he would be either on video chat with my phone like behind the computer as I was teaching my classes or somehow like on the phone, um, just again, maintaining that like nonstop contact, like day in and day out. And I remember like, you know, I would go for walks during COVID as everyone did, you know, their COVID walks. And that's when we would talk on the phone a lot. And he would get upset with me, you know, if I wasn't like paying attention. Like I forget if I mentioned this in the last episode, but when I was like on my phone and I remember one time being on the walk and laughing at something I had seen on Instagram and Matt got very upset with me and yelled at me and said, why are you on Instagram? You know, why are you on your phone when you're supposed to be talking to me? See, this is what I'm talking about. You're on your phone all the time, like all the time. And he just really laid into me because as I was on a walk and I had my AirPods in, so I was talking to him and my phone was free. 
I was browsing Instagram and he laid into me. And after that, like I wasn't allowed to be on my phone really around him. Like he would be on his phone all the time and I wasn't ever really allowed to be on my phone because he would really, really lay into me and yell at me. And I knew I would get in trouble if I was on my phone. And so it was on one of these walks during that first week after he said, I love you, that he again, like reiterated how he had his ex-girlfriend's family disappeared and he had mentioned it before, but he really like he brought it up again and he said that his ex-girlfriend had cheated on him. And so he had her entire family disappeared. And I remember like kind of asking him about it and being like, well, what do you mean? And him just being like, don't worry about it. Like you'll learn, don't fuck me over and we won't have an issue. But if you do, and I remember him being like, you know, like, like dot, dot, dot. Like if you fuck me over, this is going to happen to you and your family. And he was just saying that he, like no one ever saw her or her family again. Like no one knows what happened to her or them. And that um, you know, I was asking him like, you know, how did that happen? Like, what do you mean? You know, people like, how did you, you know, have her disappear? Like, what does that mean? And he just kept saying, you know, I know people. And again, like reiterating, like, don't fuck me over because I will always win. And he said, like, you can run and try to hide, but I will always find you and get you. So just don't fuck me over. Now, mind you, this is a couple of days after he said, I love you. So he's going from, I love you. You are my world to even if you try to get away, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you and your family. And that is days into us knowing each other. And so that was a lot of me being kind of like, well, is he bluffing? But also like, I'm not going to dare test if he's bluffing because what if he's not and he's telling the truth and he's going to do something to me and my family? Like I have to ride this out. And that's really when I, I shifted into survival mode days into meeting him because I knew I had to do whatever I could to protect myself and to protect my family because I couldn't like, I couldn't try to see and test him to see if he was lying or bluffing about this. Now I do want to add because part of the cycle of abuse is the highs where the times feel good. Um, and it's not, you know, like the, you know, the threats like every second of every day, but part of the cycle of abuse is there's the low parts where you're terrified for your life, but then there's kind of the, what's the word? Like, it's not even connection phase. Um, but where you not even reconcile, but you know, where the abuser says, Oh, like, I'm so sorry. I love you, baby. Like, I'm not going to ever do this again, you know? And then you get to the high time again, where you're having fun, you know, things seem good. And then it falls back into the bad and he's threatening you. He's pushing you against the wall, whatever it is. And so that is the cycle of abuse. And so abuse is not just the, the threats and the horror all the time, even though that was like 
defining, obviously, of my experience. But like, as I talk about this, and like the quote unquote highs, like that is part of the cycle of abuse as well. And I say quote unquote highs because they weren't ever true highs. Like the time, like the good times weren't ever truly good. It was just like a reprieve from the constant like terror and fear. And it was like fake good, you know? Um, and so that's part of the cycle of abuse. And it's part of my story and my experience with him as well. And so I shared that with him that, hey, I'm kind of looking for, you know, a little bit more of this. And he, within a minute, sends me this text, this super long text. And it was a poem. And I'm reading this. And at first, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like that's so sweet. And then, like, it was very clearly something that he had found from the Internet. And I found that I still have all of our old text messages. And so I found this poem. And I'm going to read a little bit for you um, of the poem that he sent to me. So it starts off saying, you are beautiful, you are smart, you are funny, you are kind, you are unique, you are worthy of love and affection, you are never too much, and you are always enough. You are precious, you are a diamond, a rose, a pearl, the most stunning of all. You are worth more than you can ever imagine, worth more than the numbers on a scale or the hair product you use or the shoes you wear, more than how many girls wish they were you or how many guys wish they had you more than the price tags, you know, all of blah, blah, the poem goes on. And that's what he sent me. And it was so very clearly copied from the internet, but I couldn't say that to him. Like I knew already I could not be calling him on his bluffs and I could not question him in any, even with something so obvious as a copied poem from the internet, a lame poem at that, honestly. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't call him on that. And so like he was on the phone with me as I was reading this and I was like, Oh, like that's so sweet. You know, you're, you're so good to me. Oh, gag. But you know, you know, you had to say that thing. And also like you, you believe it a little bit. And that's what is like such a cluster of abuse and all of that. And him being like, well, you're not talking about the poem. Like, you know, do you like the poem like that I sent you? Like, do you like it? You know, kind of like acting like he had written it or something. And I was just like, yeah, like that was so nice of you. It was so sweet. As if, like, he was the one who had come up with this poem. And then I, like, I Googled it. Like, I think not even when he was abusing me, but, like, after to see, like, was this actually a poem from the internet? And it was, of course. Um, But that was, like, part of the love bombing that happened, like, right away during those first, like, few weeks. Now, within these first few weeks, Matt was telling me, a lot of things, a lot of lies. And honestly, like I might just make an episode one day of all the ridiculous lies he told me. Um, but he, you know, I think I mentioned like the first episode about him, how he had said that, you know, he was raised in foster homes. He was one of 12 children. His parents died in a car crash and he, he watched it happen that he had a heart problem and he had already had two heart attacks. And that's why he had a DNR that he was going to remove because he believed in me and our future together and, you know, all of this stuff. But another thing was that he said that he lived with his sister, that he had a house down 
in Midlothian and that he lived with his sister. And he said that she had just gotten out of an abusive relationship and that she was studying to be a preschool teacher um, and that they live in this house together and that their uncle, like Matt's uncle, stayed in the house with them sometimes. And so that was just kind of another thing is that he said that, you know, he had his house um, and he lived with his sister, which we will explore all of that later on. Um, and then another thing during that first week and I'll get into like when I said this too, but he was big on, I'm not saying I love you too. Like I was not allowed to say, I love you too. It had to be, I love you. I love you. It was not ever, ever allowed to be, you know, him saying, I love you. And me saying, I love you too. Because that too was just somehow so extremely offensive and like meant less to him that I was only saying I love you because he said it too. Like it was this whole thing about saying too. And so I was not allowed to say I love you too. Now, another thing that was like really eerie as I was looking back on our text messages to like prepare to talk about this right now, I found the picture I had sent him because he said he didn't have any social media. Um, but you know, I told him obviously that I had Instagram and stuff and he asked what my Instagram was. And I said, it was mostly just pictures of my dogs, Kirby and Daisy. And I don't think like he was acting like he didn't believe it, you know, of, of the way that he does things. And so one of the pictures that I have in our conversation is a screenshot of my Instagram from back in that early April of 2020. And my Instagram of the like nine or 12 pictures that you could see in the screenshot, 85 to 90% of them were my dogs. Like literally almost every picture on my Instagram was my dogs. And he, so he knew obviously right then what Kirby and Daisy were to me. And that's just very eerie looking back and being here now. And just, you know, sending him and just knowing like what he was thinking and everything was, was really, really gross. Um, but that was, you know, part of what he was doing that first week. And so, you know, he would go and every day after he said, I love you that first week, he would make me stay on the phone with him and he would be, you know, on the phone with me while he was transporting patients and having conversations with them. So then that Friday, April 17th, he was going to come back over to my apartment and spend the night. And that was going to be the first time that he spent the night. And um, I remember like when we were on the phone and he was about to get off work, he was supposed to come over around like four or five o'clock or so. And so it was like three or three 30 and he was, you know, winding down from work and he was on the phone with one of his last patients or whatever from the day. And he was telling this patient all about me and just saying that he, you know, had his fiance, like his dream girl and that we were going to spend, you know, our lives together and that, you know, this was it. And so he was just really like love bonding me like to this patient where I could hear, you know, how he's talking so highly of me, how I'm the one, how he loves me, you know, all of this. 
to just a patient, you know? And so then, you know, he's getting off of work and he said something. I don't remember. I I couldn't tell you what it was, but I had an issue with it. And I kind of raised my concern. Like I, I, you know, let him know that I had an issue and like, that was it. I very, very quickly learned not to go against him, not to challenge him, not to question anything he said because he would punish me. And so for this instance, he got very upset with me for having a problem with him for for whatever reason it was. And he threatened, okay, I'm not coming over anymore. You keep this up with your attitude and your behavior. That's it. I'm not coming over. And then he was like, that's it. I'm going home. You lost this like privilege. Like I was going to come see you and this is your fault. Like you fucked it up. Like I'm not going to come see you anymore. So reflect on what you did, Sarah, like that kind of thing. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like it was something like so minor and it turned into this thing where I knew, I knew I had to step in line. Otherwise, like I was going to be punished. And even in this context of him not coming to see me, I knew right there a week after us meeting that I had to do what he said. Otherwise, I was going to be punished. And it started in like a little way like this, like, I'm not going to come see you. And I knew like, as he was on the phone, we were arguing for like 30 minutes. I heard him in his car driving and he was insisting that he was going home. And I had a feeling that he was coming to see me, but he was insisting that he was driving home and that I had like screwed up and that he wasn't going to come see me anymore because of something that I had done. Like this, this problem that I had had with him. Um, and it came to be that I had to apologize to him to like reconcile with him and to like ask him for his forgiveness. And then he, you know, went into this, this thing of, well, don't do this again because like, you're the one screwing this up. Like I'm not doing anything here. Like it's all you, Sarah, like you're the one screwing this up. Like it's because of you that we're having problems. And I just had to apologize to him for whatever reason. Like I just knew I had to apologize and so I did. And I apologized to him. And then he said, okay, well, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And so again, he was ex so extremely manipulating me, you know, so that, oh, I want to see him, you know, and, and because of something, he's not going to see me, but then he's actually on his way and I have to apologize. Otherwise he's not going to come see me. It was a lot, but then he did come over to see me. And that was that Friday, April 17th. So he got to my apartment soon after I apologized to him for apparently having an attitude or whatever it was. And he came over and then it was just kind of like business as usual, you know, where we were going to cook together um, and we were going to make pizza together. And so that's what we did is we made pizza for dinner, you know, working together to make the dough and like put the cheese on everything and I remember like I took a couple of pictures, like one picture and like one video of him and like us making the pizza. And like in the video, you can see him being like, no, like stop, don't record, you know, but I have those videos like saved, you know, um, from that first night of us making the pizza, you know? And so as we were at the counter making the pizza, he very like casually was just like, so like my long lost sister found me. And it was like, what the heck? Like, and he was like, yeah, like my biological sister 
found me and is messaging me. And again, remember, he said that he was one of like 12 siblings and they had all been split up into the foster homes after their parents died in the car crash. And now suddenly one of his long lost siblings found him. Now, I don't remember if I said this in one of the previous episodes, but one of the things that he told me was that he was originally from England and that he was like raised there until he was eight when his parents died in a car crash. And then he came over here and was like, they were with their grandma for a little while, but then she couldn't handle it or got sick or something. And so that's when they went to foster homes. So that was a very important piece that I'm sharing with you now because you know, he's saying, oh, his long lost biological sister found him and they were connecting. And I was like, well, what, you know, that's like crazy. Like, how do you feel about that? And he was like, eh, like, it's fine. And I was just like, okay, you know? And so he was talking about it and he like, he showed me like their Facebook conversation and mind you right away. First of all, he had told me he didn't have any social media. And so he's on Facebook, but I knew I couldn't say anything about that because I couldn't show him like any acknowledgement of his lies. Um, but he was showing me this Facebook conversation between like his supposed biological sister. And that conversation looked like it was like days or weeks long. Like it was not a conversation of, Oh, like we just met like, Oh my God, like you're my brother. I haven't seen you in forever. Oh my gosh. It was like, they were sending like emojis back to each other. Like, the, you know, like those big Facebook messenger emojis and like pictures and stuff. It was like that back and forth for like, I mean, it was a long conversation and it just did not look like the conversation you would have with your long lost biological sibling. But he showed me her picture and said, don't we look alike? And they really did look alike. And uh, she might have had a picture like with their brother or something. Um, and he was like, see, like, that's my brother, too. And like don't we look alike? And they, they did look alike. And so I did believe that like, these were his siblings, however that came to be or whatever the real story was. Like I did believe those to be his biological siblings. And so I was kind of asking like, Oh, are they also like still, you know, in England or whatever, like where, you know, he said, no, like we aren't, we all grew up like right here around the area around each other. And that was really weird to me too, because I was like, if everyone was split up in the different foster homes, like how are you all in the same area? You know, it just, was really weird. Um, but she said, you know, that they had been raised in the area of like round Lake Illinois and that they were all still like there and around each other. And so that was just weird, you know, that he's, that that happened. But then the night, you know, went on and, uh, you know, this is his first night that he was staying over at my apartment. So, as we were going to bed and mind you, Matt had told me that he was like the top three, number three ranking critical care, med, like critical care medic nationally. Like he was one of the best critical care medics in the nation. And he said that he also did flight for life where he would go on the helicopters and help, you know, these patients who were in critical condition and all that. And so apparently he said that he was supposed to be on call this night that he was staying with me at my apartment. So as we were going to bed, he got a phone call and he declined it. And, you know, I, I waited kind of for him to explain it, but he said that it was a, a call from fight from fight for life 
since he was on call that night, but he rejected it and started texting someone, said that he was texting his partner, Zeus, to cover for him because he said that Zeus was his partner from the ambulance, that they worked together like 24-7 as partners, and so he was just going to have Zeus like cover him. And so that was, again, the first like week of of us like really knowing each other um and kind of someone like the just like weird now this next part that i'm going to talk about here is just kind of a general like what happened for those last two weeks of april um i don't remember specifically like necessarily like what happened when, but just knowing that it happened like within those last couple of weeks in April. Um, and I will say like, this is, I'm putting out like trigger warning because this does talk obviously about like sexual abuse and, um, and threats and animal abuse too. So just kind of putting that out there as I talk about this, but those last, well, you know that the first day that I met Matt in person, he like he manipulated me into, I don't even want to say like having sex with him because it was not at all at any point like consensual. Um, and that is still something that is very hard for me to talk about and obviously relive. Um, but whenever, like, and I don't know what to call it for, like, lack of a better term, like, just saying sex, even though it wasn't consensual. Um, but whenever that would happen, and he would really, like, manipulate me into doing it, and if I didn't get off or have an orgasm, he would get very upset. So it wasn't just that first day, that first time. It was for multiple times after that until I eventually like started faking it to avoid the manipulation. But that's, you know, a thing for another day, I guess. But he would ask me every time if I got off and when I would say no, he would just go off the deep end and get so upset and tell me that this is why he wanted to kill himself is because like, if I didn't get off, this was the direct reason that he was going to kill himself because I was making him feel unloved and uncared for and that I, that he didn't matter and that no matter what he did, like he wasn't good enough. And it was all literally about me like getting off. So if you can just imagine the trauma that that caused me. And then he was also saying, like, don't you dare tell anyone that I'm suicidal because I know how to play the system. And if you call anyone on me, like, I will play my way through the system and then kill myself anyway. And then, you know, at this time he would also, you know, I wasn't feeling safe that he wasn't going to harm my family or me too. And so that was a lot. And I remember one time, like, when he was over... I was like cooking something and I was at the kitchen sink, like cooking something. And he came up behind me and he put his hands down my pants. Um, and I exclaimed no. And like tried to, you know, like close myself off and told him to stop. 
And he got very upset with me for telling him no. Um, and again, like went off about how this made him feel uncared for, unloved, like a low life piece of shit. And like how I had to let him do these things to make him feel loved. And that has, that was a lot. That was a lot. Um, again, just kind of like going over other things that like he said that week, like, um, it was during this time that like Matt began casually mentioning that he was looking at everything I did, such as like my phone, my phone calls, my text messages, the location of my cars. He said that he actually, that he wasn't looking into it yet, but he had the capabilities to do it because I hadn't fucked him over yet. But if, and when I did, he would start tracking me. So he was like dropping things like that um, within those first couple of weeks. Um, Matt was also extremely racist. Um, He would call people the N-word, like hard R, like all the time and talk about how they were a burden to our our country. They didn't deserve to be in our country. They didn't deserve any help. They didn't deserve to be alive. He had said um, that, you know, whenever like a person of color was in his ambulance, he wouldn't treat them properly because they didn't deserve it. Um, And so he was saying that all the time, knowing that me as my career, I am a Spanish teacher. I have done extensive work in developing countries You know, I have committed my life. Like I minored in community service studies in college. Like this is a huge part of who I am is helping others and being around him and saying this was so hard and really devastating for me. And I remember one time, like I was writing a paper for my graduate class in Spanish and it was a creative writing class. And so I was writing a poem about the first time he said, I love you to me. And obviously it was in Spanish. And so he was in the kitchen cooking something and I was on the couch writing this paper. And I mentioned like casually that I was writing this paper kind of like, oh, how sweet, you know, it's about us, about you. You're saying I love you, you know? And oh God, when I told him that there was just like a pause, like a, like a heavy moment of silence. And he was just, he just responded. was like, why would you tell me that? And I knew that I was in trouble. And he flew into a rage, yelling, like just so angry about how, like, this is the number one thing he hated about me is that I was a Spanish teacher and that I was like, quote unquote, like helping them. So I was no better than them, like helping these burdens to our country and that he just hated this about me and how dare I. And I remember like literally as I was working on my master's degree to further in Spanish to further my career as a Spanish teacher, telling him, well, for our lives together, because he had been telling me like, we will get married. We're going to live together forever. Like this is our, you know, you're the one for me. I remember telling him well, there are other career opportunities. I'll look for something else. And anyone who knows me knows that my career is absolutely like number one 
I am so committed to my career. So for me to have to say, oh, I'll give up everything for my safety, for him to not be angry and upset with me was just like huge. And so that was like part of the experience. And then along with that, knowing that I was a teacher, Matt told me that his adopted mom worked as like basically the director of the Illinois State Board of Education. And he said that she he had been seeing another girl like a few months before. Um, like I had met him and he said that she had like, quote unquote, like fucked him over. So he had his mom take away her teaching license so that she could no longer work as a teacher in the state of Illinois as punishment for what she did to Matt. Now, when I asked him, well, like, what is it? Like, what did she do? All he could say was that he kept trying to ignore her calls, but she wouldn't let it go. And she kept like harassing him nonstop. And so he told his mom and she took away this girl's teaching license. So that was another threat that terrified me of the possibility of, of, of losing my state licensure. You know, that was just, it was a lot. So during these first few weeks, I want to say this was in like the first two weeks of me having met Matt, he had me come down to his house and I remember it was a Thursday because I remember like we had a staff meeting at work and everything was on Zoom. And so I brought my computer down so that I could do the staff meeting on Zoom. And he had me bring Kirby and Daisy with and said, oh, yeah, of course they can come. And so I brought Kirby and Daisy down to his house. And I remember it was like awkward. And like this was, I think, my first time really meeting his dog, Zip this big German shepherd, you know, and, um, and it was just awkward, like with Matt, because I was in his space and it was, you know, it's kind of weird. And so I remember like sitting at his kitchen table on the zoom call with work and he was, you know, around like watching Kirby and Daisy as I was on the zoom call and, you know, obviously I could, you know, see them and everything and just, they were kind of hanging out and Kirby, um, didn't like zip and he didn't like Matt. And, um, and so at one point I was sitting at the table and Daisy got afraid of zip and came to sit by me. Uh, Kirby came and like stood by us and Matt, commented it was kind of like oh ho ho like he's protective of you and he's protective of Daisy too look at how he's guarding her too and I remember at the time thinking like oh like how sweet Kirby like you love your sister too because mind you like Daisy hadn't been with us for a year yet she was still a baby and uh, I just remember thinking like oh how sweet that Kirby is you know guarding us and now looking back it is creepy and eerie and disgusting um, especially that he was paying attention to that, you know? Um, and so after that, like Matt would bring zip over to my apartment because every other time it was like, it was always at my apartment. Like I only went to his house a few times, like throughout the, 
short couple of months that he was in my life. Um, but he would bring Zip over to my apartment. And I remember that Zip would act aggressively to Kirby. And so I would um, put Kirby away in my bedroom so that um, that he wouldn't be hurt and be around Zip, who was aggressive, because I could not tell Matt, no, I couldn't tell him, no, don't bring your dog, don't bring Zip, because that would have been like the end of the world, as you will see in next week's episode, um, or the next episode, I should say, but I would um, separate Kirby and put him in my room so that he was like safe and away from, from them. And I also did that because like, well, Matt would go into the bedroom all the time to check in on Kirby and he would bring Zip with him. And that was terrifying because I knew like I tried to make him stop and to keep Kirby safe, but Matt would go in and you couldn't tell Matt no, you know? And so when Zip would get close to Kirby, Kirby would growl and Matt would slap his face. He would slap Kirby's face and tell him that he would happily let his dog get him. And I think that's very much how it started. Um, obviously, looking back and just knowing then that he was very harsh. Um, and he would he would say that he was just training my dogs because they weren't trained. And so when he would slap Kirby on the face, it was to train him because Zip's not going to hurt him. But Zip will stand up for himself if Kirby starts something. You know, if Kirby's the one who's growling and everything. And so that was really how it started, you know, and... Um, obviously I hate looking back on that, but we'll go into more of the dog abuse. I'm sure shortly here, but just another thing that was big in that first like few weeks or so is how Matt, uh, really quickly, swiftly isolated me from anyone and everyone. And that, especially during the COVID pandemic where I wasn't seeing anyone, now I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone either. That was a huge factor that I was completely alone and just subjected entirely to him and his abuse. And so for one, like I had a friend, like a really good friend and like, she was really wary of Matt and what I was telling her about him and how that we are moving so quickly and that we are boyfriend and girlfriend already. And she really was not like feeling good about him. And I remember like talking to Matt about it and he immediately was like, cut her off. Like if I had a friend like that, like I wouldn't keep her in my life. Like, you know, she's disrespecting you, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I would never treat you that way or say those things to you. So like cut her off. And of course, like, I, you know, was listening to him because I wasn't listening to anyone else. And um, I think a couple days after that, like, I mentioned something again about, like, what this friend had said. And he got upset. And he was like, well, why are you still talking to her? Like, don't come to me and complain about her anymore because I told you what to do. And if you're not going to do that, that, that's your own problem. Like, that's your own fault. Like, don't talk to me about it. If you're going to be stupid, like, you don't get to complain to me about it. And so after that, I cut her off because I knew that if I kept talking to her, uh, it wasn't safe for me. 
and that Matt was going to continue being upset with me. And I knew that Matt being upset with me meant I wasn't safe. And so I was very much in the survival mode of placating him in any way that I could. And so I, I stopped talking to her, one of my like truly like best friends. I wasn't allowed to talk to family really, because if I did, I had to tell Matt about it and he would always check in and say, well, what did you talk to your parents about? Like, what did you talk to your mom about? You know, and you know, he had already put those threats out there that he wasn't doing it yet, but he was going to like check my phone and text messages and everything if I betrayed him in any way. And so that was always in the back of my mind too, of, well, what if he is looking at my stuff, you know? And then the other like big thing is he isolated me from my therapist. And I had been seeing this therapist who I truly I really liked her. I had been, I had been seeing her for seven years, seven years of my life working with this therapist. And within a couple of weeks, boom, like Matt cut me off from her. And I remember like telling him that I had, you know, was in therapy and that I had an upcoming appointment with my therapist. And, um, I just remember like being on my bed and it was late at night, one night, And I was telling him about this, about my therapist, and he got so upset with me, so upset with me, telling him that it made him feel invalidated, unloved, unimportant, uncared for, you know, that by seeing a therapist and like talking about my problems with someone else or our our problems with someone else, I was essentially cheating on him and betraying him. And that I should only go to him with my issues because that's what couples are supposed to do and be there for each other. And so what kind of relationship did we have or who was he, you know, if, if I couldn't trust him or go to him with these things and I had to go to a therapist, you know, and, uh, pretty soon after that, I stopped seeing my therapist. And so the isolation happened very quickly And so it was just like quite literally like a living hell for me where I, as my own therapist, like since have said, like, I, I didn't know which way was up ever because I was totally isolated from the world from COVID. I was isolated from everyone because of Matt abusing me. I was on like pins and needles, like trying to placate him constantly because he was constantly getting so upset with me and angry and yelling at me. And I knew I wasn't safe. And so for my own safety, I had to placate him constantly. And so, and then he's also coming and telling me, I love you. Like, let's get married. Like, let's have kids together. You know, like this is it for life. Like, here's what our lives are going to be like together. And it was just like a nightmare that I just, I didn't know like what was going on, like at any given point, like, you know, all I, all I knew is that I had to placate him and keep him happy because otherwise like it was hell for me and, and my safety was in danger. And so the abuse started so quickly and it was only downhill from there, literally because this brings me to the end of um, this episode and 
what those first few weeks were like and how it all like really started. Um, and so in the next episode, um, I am going to talk about the weekend before he killed Daisy. And then the next episode after that will be the day he killed Daisy. And I feel like I can't believe we're already like looking to that episode, but he killed Daisy three weeks into us knowing each other. And so it did happen very, very quickly. And so just knowing that that's coming up in the next couple of episodes here, but um, thank you so much for listening, um, for being here with me. Um, I know this is not easy for anyone to hear. It's certainly not easy for me to relive and to talk about, but I want to say it and it needs to be out there. And so thank you for, for just being here and present. And, um, I will see you, um, in the next episode.